Hey everybody, I am here with Reese from the Control Alt Reese YouTube channel. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Yeah, how are you? Excellent. So um, I stumbled across your channel when James the uh, from Retro HQ, the creator of the Jaguar Game Drive, passed along one of your reviews, mm. and I was talking to the Retro RGB crew about it, and Vanessa was basically like, "Yeah, how do you not know Reese?" <laughs> so oh. it's like, okay. My fault. I'll go back and look at the videos then. And uh, yeah, I've been a fan of your stuff ever since. I've been trying to follow oh, you as you. much as I could and just thought it would be fun to have a chat with you. Yeah, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Yeah, um, yeah, I've had some good uh, chats with Vanessa about uh, PC MIDI and DOS gaming and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. So um, I guess for anybody unfamiliar, could you give like the very basic of what your YouTube channel is about? Because I took it as like, awesome nerdiness focused on retro PC stuff with some retro console crossover, uh, or did I misinterpret? No, that, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good first impression, I think. Um, so I'm, I kind of predominantly um, collect Atari stuff. That's kind of my hobby. Um, so a lot of it is kind of Atari focused, but uh, there's a lot of classic PC stuff in there as well, kind of 90s PC, uh, DOS gaming. Uh, obviously, that was kind of a big part of my kind of teenage years as well. Um, but ultimately, I, I kind of started the channel just to kind of document whatever I was tinkering with at the time. So electronics projects, um, building an arcade machine, um, modifying consoles, pretty much anything goes. So, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I have any uh, particular focus other than uh, what, what happens to interest me at, uh, at any given moment. But yeah, predominantly uh, retro gaming and kind of vintage computing focused. Very cool. So um, which were the consoles and PCs that you grew up with? What was your like, your your route to all of this? Yeah, so um, my very first experience um, gaming um, was uh, it was at a, a family big family Christmas at my uncle's house. Um, and my cousin had just got a uh, an Atari 2600 junior, um, which of course was the, uh, the, the the smaller plastic model rather than the uh, the famous wood grain one. Um, and that would have been around 1989, 1990 or so. Uh, so I would have been uh, five or six. Um, and I remember very distinctly playing uh, Frogger and uh, Keystone Capers were the two games, two very first games I, I remember playing in my, in my sort of whole life, really. Um, and that's kind of what set me up on this on this path of, of loving Atari things. Um, after that, I had uh, an Acorn Electron very briefly until that exploded. Um, I literally exploded. Um, and then we got the uh, the Atari SDE. So, yeah, yeah, the elect the electron. Um, I don't know where my dad got that from. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the Acorn Electron. Um, I... uh, I've only started to get familiar with retro PCs that were popular outside of the US after mm -hmm. I started Retro RGB. Um, so it's kind of like a fascinating look into what I never had because it just there weren't really that many options. Uh, but you, you got to tell the story of how it exploded because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the acorn electron was the uh, the cut price version of the bbc micro which was kind of the, the well the uh, eight bit computer that we had in schools at the time um but yeah the, my dad kind of came home with it one day knowing that i uh, desperately wanted a, a games console um didn't like games consoles at all he was very much uh, of the opinion that uh, we should have a proper computer so i could do my homework on it and all that kind of stuff so that was kind of the route that we took and um yeah uh used to uh sort of sit uh, in front of the living room tv with the with the electron and, and sort of play games at night and play text adventures and that kind of stuff and uh one evening kind of sat down for a an evening's gaming um 
flicked the power switch and there was a huge bang, um, smoke pouring out of it. Um, my mum was terrified. She thought uh, it was going to burn the house down. Obviously, my dad grabbed it and ran outside onto the patio. And <laughs> it was uh, it was quite a scene. Um, yeah, obviously, knowing what I know now, I guess it was uh, probably a, a, a briefer capacitor in the power supply or something that would have been very easily fixed. Um, but I think that was that was kind of the final nail in the coffin for that computer. And uh, yeah, a couple of months later, it was uh, it was Christmas. Um, that was 1991, and uh, like I say, that was when we got the the Atari STE. That's that's awesome. That's funny too, because you know it's uh, everybody's had some kind of story about something blowing up when they were a kid, and it, it's just so funny to see. Like if that happened today, uh, you know, like your parents would have put that up all over social media. Like there would have been oh, yeah. you know, recalls and warnings. And back in the wild eighties, it was just like, well, you know, stop, drop, and roll, bitch. That's that's how we do that's it. <laughs> pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, my dad was an engineer, and uh, he was very encouraging of me to kind of take stuff apart and and sort of work out how it worked and any kind of old electronics um in the family all ended up with me and uh, it, it was it was mostly supervised but um yeah it was really good with that kind of thing and, and kind of set me up on this path of uh, tinkering with things so yeah d- different times definitely yeah you know it's it's funny because nobody in my family was an engineer and i was the one that whether they liked it or not took about apart all the electronics to see how they worked and what they were like. And I didn't know what I was looking at half the time, but just taking it apart and putting it back together and figuring out how mechanical pieces went together and Mm. what was attached to the other side. Like that was, that was my gateway drug, if you will, to to PC and electronics hardware that that alone was enough to get me in. Yeah. I mean, I I was always sort of taking my toys apart and then kind of saying to my dad, dad, put it back together, please. I can't, (laughs) I can't work out how it goes back together kind of thing. So Yeah. Uh, was he able to give you some insight and like, you know, kind of say, all right, well, you know, this is a capacitor, this stores power, you know, this is, you know, a power regulator. Don't touch that. You get electrocuted, like stuff like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember taking an old black and white TV apart um, very carefully and, and him basically saying, kind of explaining how a, a CRT worked and, um, you know, pointing out the high voltage parts and don't touch that and all of that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it kind of gave me the confidence to sort of carry on tinkering with that kind of stuff obviously if you know what you're doing it's not uh it, it's less dangerous so yeah yeah i mean that's kind of what i always try to to put forth whenever we're working on these old things is you know safety first because it's mm. like you know with, with computers i mean unless you do something like grab the power supply you know an open frame power supply while it's plugged into the wall i i'd seriously doubt other than that there's any chance of any serious you know injuries at all uh, other than somebody using it as a weapon to whack you in the head with it. But when it comes to CRTs, it's just not like that. You could reach into, you know, mm. to turn one knob to make an adjustment and, you know, so, something arcs off the anode cap and uh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, um, I've recapped a few CRTs um, in recent years, so they don't, um, obviously you have to have respect for them, but um, as long as you know what you're doing, it's, it's okay. So yeah, fingers crossed, touch wood. I haven't, uh, haven't uh, managed to, electrocute myself just yet but uh there's always time <laughs> yeah i always tell people the reason i haven't gotten shocked by a crt was the same reason i never crashed my motorcycle is because if you approach it terrified mm. then it's a uh, very very less of a chance of things going wrong mm. so it's uh you know just terrified we're like you know you still do it but you have respect for it while you're doing mm. it that way it's you know and it's easy to to keep that at the forefront 
was way easier on a motorcycle because if you're dipping around a corner at 120, it's a little easier to remember, to remember like, hey, you could die real quick. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a slightly more impressive way to go than uh, electrocuted by a CRT. But uh... <laughs> if I had to choose, like, I don't, I, neither of them sound like a no. nice way to die. But if I had to choose, Going around a corner at a buck twenty, definitely, because that'll be like you know that'll be quick and painless, kind of badass in a weird way. Yeah. You know, working on my arcade machine and I, I slipped and fell and got my hand jammed underneath the power circuit. Not not really a, a good story to tell. No, no. <laughs> so, um, what brought you transitioning from being a kid using this stuff? enjoying it to now being an adult that does a lot of very cool videos about them. Were you always kind of in the scene uh, working on this stuff? Did you have like a nostalgic resurgence that got you back into it? You know, what kind of started your YouTube channel? Yeah, I've always kind of dipped in and out of the whole um, retro thing and the the old computer thing and and that kind of stuff. Um, I I kind of um, got out of it for a while when I was a teenager and it was more about current gaming PCs and that kind of thing and obviously the the voodoo era and the the early GeForce cards and that kind of stuff um very much up my street um and then it, it was kind of around the early 2000s and I kind of dug out the old Atari STE it was around the time I was kind of moving out from my parents house and kind of going through my old stuff and just kind of thought oh okay and started to uh, look at some of the forums and things and obviously there were new upgrades for them hard drive internal hard drive interfaces and, and stuff that people have come up with that you could buy the kits for and install yourself. And um, yeah, so I tinkered with that for a while, um, bought some more Atari stuff, um, got into the 2600 again and the, and the Jaguar, uh, or the Jaguar, as you say. Um, <laughs> and that's the thing that always comes up when you when you uh, have a, an English guest on the show. Um, yeah, um, as far as the actual YouTube channel's concerned, um, I mean, I've been watching YouTube for, for a long time. It's kind of the main source of entertainment in our house um, and has been for a very long time. We kind of fe- fell out of love with uh, mainstream TV and that kind of stuff. Um, so I was watching a lot of the uh, the kind of the early pioneers like um, Angry Video Game Nerd and Ashens mm-hmm. and, and people like that, um, 8-Bit Guy, LGR. Um, and I, I kind of always wanted to do it and always wanted to get into it. And I, I, I've always made videos it, it's it's always kind of been a part of my life um you know my parents had a camcorder when i was a kid and i, I used to make like magic videos and, and silly stuff like that um and then throughout college and university i i, I had video cameras and I, I kind of did silly little things in windows movie maker and, and iMovie and stuff like that and, um yeah so uh started posting some pictures on my instagram account a few years back um actually built up quite a following on there um but i made the mistake of not keeping uh, the hobby side of things and my personal life separate so the account was in my own name um and obviously it was the same account that i used to post pictures of you know holiday photos and, and family stuff and that kind of thing and I, I ended up with more and more kind of random strangers uh, commenting on that stuff and i kind of thought no i need to separate this out into something separate so um a friend of mine came up with the name Control Reese, and I thought, yeah, that that that's great. That's uh, that works. Set up a new Instagram account, built up following around around a thousand people on there, and um, don't know, just 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 decided it was time to uh, kind of make the jump to YouTube. Um, 
so I was I was modifying um, Nintendo Famicoms and um, Atari 2600s and, and kind of selling them on eBay on the side at the time. And um, a, a guy called Jason Bradbury contacted me. And I don't know if you're familiar with Jason Bradbury. Sounds um, familiar. Yeah, he's um, he hosts a, a TV show in the UK, or he used to anyway, um, called The Gadget Show, which was quite big. Um, and he's quite big in kind of the, the British tech scene and... Um, you know, quite a well-known journalist and stuff. And um, he, he wanted some old consoles. Um, he wanted me to basically source them and, and modify them for him to use on his social media accounts. And uh, I, I don't know why he picked me specifically, because I was, I was still a relative nobody at the time. Um, but I thought, well, if, if, if ever there was an opportunity to, to launch a YouTube channel and, and name drop a big celebrity, um, this is it. So the uh, the actual 2600 that I modified for him, um, I, I recorded the process and, and thought, no, I'm going to make a proper go of this. And and that was my first video on the channel. And um, yeah, that was uh, October, I think October 2019 that went up and I haven't stopped since. Every, every week or so, every couple of weeks, I've uh, managed to keep up the momentum and, and keep putting stuff out there. That's really cool. That's a, that's a fun story. I'm glad mm. to hear that. Um, do you like, how do you choose your videos? Just what you're working on at that moment? Do you have subjects that you specifically want to cover? Or are you just kind of having fun doing it, you know, as, as you feel like? Um, a combination of the three. Um, I have a list as long as my arm, um, video ideas and stuff I want to cover in the future. And I have a whole room full of half finished and broken stuff that I really need to get around to. And, uh, I've, there's kind of this YouTuber's curse when you do this stuff on YouTube that um, obviously I don't want to touch anything that needs fixing because I could make a video about it. So uh, I have shelves full of stuff that's kind of half finished and not working because obviously you have all that overhead of of setting the cameras up and and getting stuff recorded and and trying to sort of tell a story and everything. Um, I think you just like everybody that makes videos, whether it's for a day job or whether it's just for casual fun, I think everybody listening right now just did that same like, mm, mm. and they looked over at the boxes and I'm, I'm personally, I have like four boxes worth of stuff. A friend of mine bought a bunch of stuff off of me and I was like, would you mind if I sent it out as I did videos on it? And they were like, oh, that's even cooler. I mean, I'm a year behind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've. I've got stuff that people, I mean, I, there's a thing to do with donations and uh, I'd obviously I think um, there are people who've kind of got in trouble for it before and and coming across as ungrateful and stuff because of obviously people donating stuff to the channel and then um, kind of saying, no, you know, please stop sending me stuff. I've got far too much stuff. Um, But I've actually found myself, even with the channel being kind of the the, the small size that it is, um, I'm in that situation as well. You know, I've had a couple of people send stuff to me and say, oh, you know, it's, it's fine. Just get around to it when you can, you know, just make a, you know, just, just want to make a fun video out of it. And I've, I've got stuff in boxes that I've had for over a year now that, uh, yeah, they, they, sometimes they keep me awake at night thinking, you know, are these people expecting something out of me sooner rather than later. Or... <laughs> so, yeah. I think as long as you manage expectations, everybody's yeah. cool with that, you know? Yeah, it's... no, I, I'm really lucky with the channel that um, I one thing that I, I've kind of always focused on from day one with the channel is, is kind of the community and the, and the people around it. So I have a discord server and I have a Patreon and I'm very much, you know, constantly communicating with people and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really great community to uh, to be a part of. So, yeah. And, you know, I, I've definitely found that the type of videos people make and the personality that you put forth in that video 
is a big determining factor in the community that you build around it. Hmm. So, you know, Voltar is a good friend of mine. He, hmm. he likes being silly. So sometimes he gets commenters that think it's okay to be a little too silly, but that's just kind of part, part of what he does. And, you know, that's, that's cool too. But I, I like, I, I really appreciate the other side of that, especially when it comes to the nerd side of things. Hmm. Cause if we were hanging out at a pub, fine, bring the silly. That's the time and the place I'm all for it. But when I come in looking for the answer to a technical question, I want to be surrounded by nerds, not comedians. So shout out to Lewis, no, no offense, but like, <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I like, I, I think it's very easy to see how you could get such a good community out of your videos because, you know, you, they're, they're factually correct. You know, they're well shot. I mean, you got, you make good videos. So oh, I think it, you. just, you know, you don't, you don't fill them with, with crap. So that's the type of audience that you've catered then is a good audience around that. So. That's the thing, isn't it? I mean, some people like to court controversy a bit and, and kind of rock the boat and, and cause trouble. And they like the attention that they get from that. But the trouble is you you attract the kind of people that also like to cause trouble. Um, so I, I tend to stay away from all that. Um, it's funny you should Smart. mention Voltar. It, it took me uh, took me a while to work him out. Um, I mean, I, I've been a subscriber to his channel and followed him on social media for, for years now. Um, and at first it was kind of like, oh, you know, he's a bit... Uh, bit in your face a bit uh, <laughs> a bit loud but uh he, he i think w- once you get to know him and you kind of get to know his stuff he's, he's obviously a very genuine guy and he's obviously a very clever guy and, and really knows his stuff so yeah i do uh, i do have a lot of respect for him it's funny the first time i ever messaged him i was on a forum and i saw he mentioned something that he did a mod that uh, no one else had really done it that way mm. and i, I kind of wanted to know more about it and i started typing the dm and i go to hit send and i took a deep breath and i'm like I really don't want to fucking talk to this guy. He's such a dick. I don't want to talk to him. I don't, I don't want to have to sit there and, and listen to him. I don't want to, I'm like, you know what? It's, it's for the greater good. It'll end up on the website. And I hit send. And the response that I got was, you know, a little bit like, you know, here's the answer to your question. You know, I kind of being cautious. And then three or four messages later, we're talking on Skype and I realized, mm who he really is and it's one of those like oh okay this guy's got a giant heart and works really hard to help people and he's also a dick at the same time so <laughs> yeah exactly you can do you that know? and still be still be a dick <laughs> yeah so no it's, i am um, it's an odd odd character uh yeah i think i um i made a very very bad first impression on him because um i had a, a really weird um twitter bug where just overnight twitter just seemed to block pretty much everyone that i followed um and I still can't work out. I, I tweeted about it at the time, and I had quite a few people reply saying, "Oh yeah, that's that's also happened to me." Um, but he was one of the people that I blocked, um, and I'd been following him for so long at this point, and and obviously he noticed because, um, well, uh, that's the kind of guy he is, I guess. Um, and he, he checks that yeah. kind of stuff, and uh, obviously he was, uh, you know, why have you blocked me? You know, what have I done to offend you? Kind of thing. And I thought, I was like, oh shit, you know, <laughs> of all the people to have uh, kind of stirred up on Twitter, I thought, oh no, you know. This is going to come back to bite me, but uh, thankfully we we did talk it out at the time, and it was like, yeah, no, it, it, this is a genuine bug. I have no idea what's happened. I'm really sorry about this, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, I, it's I'm not so the kind funny of you mention to... that though, because I you, I would brutally make fun of him for checking. And like, <laughs> well, one I, one day I was just like, can you just give me an honest reason why you would ever check who follows and unfollows you? And he's like, yeah, it's part of the app that I use to make sure I don't have fake bots following me Mm. what are you talking about and he explained so he was actually right 
four years ago, three years ago, but not anymore. But there were uh, apps you could use and like websites to figure out how many of your followers were bots. And you want to try to keep an eye on that back then you did because there were people who bought followers for a Mm. while there. So that it was, you know, and that in itself was very easy to see. If you have somebody with 20,000 followers and the same Mm. two people are the only ones that comment on their videos, they bought their followers, right? So, but that was a very big negative. You'd get hit in algorithms, you know, you'd get looked down upon if Mm. people figured it out. And he just never knew that it doesn't matter anymore because these companies have filtered it out themselves. So I haven't heard him complain about that since because I don't, I think, I honestly think that was why he was checking for nerd reasons. And then your stats pop up right there. It's how many are fake, how many, who unfollowed you, who followed you. So yeah, that's, I, I agree. That was weird until I figured out why he was doing it. And then you know, I apologize. He didn't deserve all the teasing I gave him for it. Just some of it. To be to be fair, though, I'm, I'm glad he did kind of call me out on it because um, otherwise I wouldn't have checked and I probably wouldn't have noticed. And uh, like I said, I, I somehow blocked most of the people I was following. So, <laughs> yeah, very strange. I've, I, mean, I know there are like block lists and things that you can subscribe to. And th- there were a couple of like third party services that I'd, I'd logged into um, using my Twitter account that, w- that kind of still had access to it. So I don't know if one of those managed to do that somehow or... Twitter's just strange at times. I mean, yeah, it, it it doesn't notify me when I get messages and and all sorts of stuff. So evidently, it doesn't doesn't work properly. But it's there always you go. been kind of broken. And also, yeah. putting um, block this fo- block this person is next to mute this conversation. And yeah. I mean this with all the respect in the world. But there are so many conversations I'm tagged in that mm. actually have nothing to do with me. I wouldn't add anything to the conversation. It's just filling up my notifications. So I mute a lot of conversations. And so many times I'll be quick on my phone or I'll be clicking really quickly and I'll block a whole bunch of people. And then it's the same thing. I'll get, a, uh, you know, somebody will message me like, hey, man, why did you block Reese? He's a nice guy. I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't block anybody. So, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's, yeah. The, that's the trouble, though, isn't it? Social media, you know, you kind of uh, live and die by it and uh people who judge you by your your interactions and who you interact with and and all this kind of stuff so but unfortunately if you want to get your name out there you you kind of have to play the game unfortunately you're right there's really no way around that and then you know everybody well, the loudest voices are never the majority but those are the ones that you have to navigate mm. around so it's uh, always an interesting scenario to deal with that crap oh, definitely well, anyway, back on the, you know, anyway. uh, <laughs> back to your videos and less about bitching about social media. Sorry, it always <laughs> that always seems to find its way in these conversations because it's such a an overwhelming part of all of our lives that most of my fellow nerds really don't want any part of at all. We just kind of mm-hmm. have to. So. So what do you use for equipment to to shoot your videos? Like what's your capture card? What kind of cameras you're using? Um, I have. Um, I very recently upgraded to a Sony uh, ZV-E10, uh, which mm-hmm. is a 4K vlogger camera. Uh, very lucky to get my hands on one of those because they're impossible to get hold of now. I got one kind of just just as the component shortage kind of started to hit. Um, before that, I was recording stuff on my phone. Um, as far as capture cards and stuff, I have, have owned and still own uh, pretty much most of the stuff that's out there. I'm a big fan of the uh, RetroTINK 5X at the minute. Um, obviously, that does SCART and, and composite and S-Video and pretty much everything that you need. Um, I have a, a StarTech USB 3 HD cap, which I use for PC stuff. Um, yeah, there's um, 
obviously, uh, microphone-wise, I've, I've got the uh, the Rode NT-USB here, and I use the uh, Rode VideoMic Pro, so pretty standard setup that everyone uses. A uh, load mm. of cheap LED panel lights from uh, from Amazon. Um, yeah, um, as far as capture cards, actually, I, I don't know if you've... There was one that was announced, I don't know, it was just a couple of days ago, called the Medusa. I don't know if you've seen that one. The capture card called the Medusa? Uh, no, not a capture but... card, sorry, an upscaler. Oh, yeah. So that's the one that's designed specifically for PC, uh, retro PC stuff, where it can be used with other stuff. But mm. I think that was the focus, because I was actually going to ask you when you mentioned the RetroTink 5X, mm. I'm predominantly a console gamer, and the videos that that I do are usually around that, even though I do love the retro PC stuff, too. And the Tink 5X has been awesome for all mm. of that. But I have heard people say that some uh, retro consoles have had issues with it, so they end up using the OSSC. Have you had? Have you found any specifically that won't work with the RetroTINK 5X? There was very early on. There was because um, I was very lucky, and I think I was I got in on the second batch um, that Mike sent out, and there was an issue with the Atari ST with the the power model of the Atari ST. Um, obviously, that runs at fifty hertz, and um, it was. It kind of mostly worked, but there was kind of a weird interference on the screen that kind of popped up at times. And um, someone actually spotted it in one of my videos because I was obviously one of the first sort of pal, pal Atari ST owners to actually use it for videos on YouTube um, and said, oh, you know, have you mentioned that to Mike kind of thing? Um, it's kind of a, a mutual friend. And, and he was quite friendly with him and ended up having a bit, a bit of a back and forth and ended up testing a new version of the firmware, which actually fixed that. And uh, yeah, the, I give them some feedback on that so it was quite cool to be involved with that side of things um but as far as anything else is concerned i mean i've i've used the i recently used the um 5x for upscaling some old family videos with an old vcr so i found some old videotapes and uh, obviously used the composite input on there and uh, yeah it was, it was fantastic for that as well so really good kind of all-round device uh, the only one thing one thing that i would ask for um if this is my opportunity if this is my soapbox uh, my direct line to, to mike to, to ask for a feature um it would be really cool if it would do um like the uh 70 hertz um dos stuff obviously you can get a, a hardware vga to scart adapter but it won't accept the um what's the resolution 720 by 400 uh, 70 hertz i think dos and so uh, I could be wrong about this, uh, but I believe the chipset on the 5X can't do over 60 hertz. Uh, I could be wrong. Explain it. I could be remembering what Mike said to me wrong, but I think when it came to those, he had suggested the OSSC because mm. that doesn't change the refresh rate. It's only a line multiplier, whereas the Tink can do both. It could act as a line multiplier, but it still has to buffer a few lines, not frames, a few lines. And in doing so, that means it has to support the re all of the refresh rates. And I don't think it can go much over 60. Because, you know, some of these are like 60.002 or something like mm. that. Uh, you know, it could do up to 61, let's just say, to oversimplify things. But, um, yeah, I could be wrong about that. But I think that's a hardware limitation. And I think that's one of the reasons Mike's always taken the stance of, um, you know, if, if you really are focused on retro PCs, maybe check out the OSSC. Yeah, I... <laughs> You see, the, the reason I say all of this is because um, I very foolishly sold my OSSC last year um, when the when the RetroTINK arrived because I thought, oh, you know, this works with everything. Tried it with a few things. Really, really happy with it. Plug and play. You know, don't need to fiddle with it like you do. Um, obviously, the, the OSSC or the standard profiles are, are really good anyway, but um, I just found the 
the retro tink was was kind of a bit more plug and play and a bit less fiddly. And I thought, mm. well, I don't need this anymore. So I just, you know, stuck it on eBay, get a bit of cash back. And uh, it was only afterwards that uh, I, I kind of went to do some capture from uh, some DOS stuff with a PC. And I thought, oh, <laughs> I needed that. Um, yeah, That's so uh, I've, I've kind of been holding out hope that uh, he's going to add it to the retro tink and I don't need to go out and buy another OSSC, but uh, it sounds like I do. So that's fine. Or, that's or maybe fine. this is an opportunity to pick up that new one coming out and do a review because uh, I, I would certainly, for anything yes. retro PC focused, I would really hope somebody uh, you know over in Europe and the UK or Germany or whatever would be able to do that review, um, at least first, because I think that's the focus. And you know, just a side note, I really... It's cool to me how all of these newer products are coming out with their own focus. Mm. So, you know, no one's coming out and saying, oh, throw away your, you know, throw away your retro mm. tank because this is the new one. You know, everybody's kind of coming out with their, their own thing that they're focusing on, which I think is really great. But, but yeah, I'd be interested to see how that one works with all the different frequencies. Yeah, I think I think everyone's kind of living in hope that there's going to be some universal all-in-one solution that's 100% pixel perfect across everything. And it's just not it's not technically feasible is it so that yeah there's always going to be a need for multiple devices but then obviously i think it's unusual for someone to be into dos pc gaming and retro console gaming and retro computers and and all of that stuff you know i think i think people like you and me are, are kind of an edge case and most people just want one to play their old snes or or dreamcast or whatever and perfectly happy with it so but yeah the the, the medusa does look very interesting so i think uh they're based in poland i think Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, you'll be able to get one early and uh, and you know let us all know how it works. And I'm always interested in that stuff. Mm. There's also, uh, man, the Retroscaler A1 from Urkin Labs. Yes. All right. I think I remembered that correctly. So that that line doubles everything, and mm. it does it by oversampling and line doubling. So you don't need to set phase at all but it outputs VGA. It stays, Hmm. it it only does the digital conversion in order to do the um, uh, oversampling. And I I might be getting the little details wrong, but I got the concept right because I did a whole video with this thing. And uh, (laughs) I think that might actually be another great choice, especially if you have retro PCs that are 15 kilohertz that you're trying to use on a VGA monitor. Hmm. Since it's D sub in VGA out, I think that would be a good tool. It's not cheap at all, but it's very good quality. It's hmm. OSSC level quality with no settings. You just plug it hmm. in and it doubles it to that. But I mean, that's kind of a, a special. It's it's more of a, a niche use case in the States, whereas in Europe with all of the retro PC enthusiasts, I think that's much more of a chance of people having a couple of retro PCs and a VGA CRT monitor that they wanted to put together. Yeah, and for streaming as well. I mean, I I actually, I've done a few streams. It's not really a, a, a regular thing for me, but um, I, I streamed with my IBM 5150 PC, um, which has a C, CGA card in it. So I used a, a CGA to RGB adapter and then obviously plug that into the OSSC to upscale it and then into the capture card. And um, I actually did a couple of streams with that, just playing, uh, you know, Commander Keen and um, Loom uh, was another one. So, yeah, it's, it's all technically possible. That CGA adapter, that was just a pin converter, right? That didn't actually need to convert the signal because it's a RGBS 15 kilohertz signal, right? <sighs> it was a while back. Um yeah, the, the adapter's called the CGA to RGB, and I think it converts the TTL uh, signals from the CGA card into 
Um, to to you know, lower it, level SCART voltage. Yeah, I, I, I think SCART, it's, it's right. been a while. I've played with a lot of stuff since then. So uh, I, may, I may be misremembering how it works, but it had to be part of the, the chain for me to get it to work. So, <laughs> Yeah, because I've gotten that question a few times and I've always guessed that it's probably RGBS and it's probably just a different voltage level on the sync. Yeah, but I don't I think know because so. I don't really have access to any of that. The one old computer I have, my buddy Justin's still holding on for me. Maybe I'll get it back at some point now that I have a, you know a place to put it. But it's an old Tandy one thousand with a you know an RGB monitor hooked up to it. So I mean that thing hasn't even booted in ten years, I think at least. So let's uh, hopefully that'll still work. But then at least I'd be able to have some kind of older computer to do those experiments with. Mm. Yeah, very uh, cool era of computing, really. The kind of the old. Tandy 1000 and the IBM 5150 and obviously we had the uh, the Amstrads over here with the uh, uh, 8086 CPU and uh, kind of uh, yeah really interested because obviously I, because of my age I kind of just caught the very tail end of that era so and obviously being kind of from a computer science background as well myself I'm kind of very interested in uh, kind of where it all started and, and where the whole PC thing uh, kind of came from so uh, really interesting stuff to tinker with interesting to see how far we've come in the past 35 years <laughs> yeah it's also kind of um it'll be interesting to see what happens in the upcoming generations because people like us that grew up in command line and dos and you know heck basic my first computer had mm. a trs-80 it's you know when when something happens on our computer screens nerds that have been doing this since the 80s understand how it gets from you know click on the screen obviously not everybody but people who programmed on pcs used this stuff so i'm kind of interested to see you know the kids that are just hitting their teens now when you know when they start to become development age you know they get into business they start working on this is that going to be a detriment because we already have all of this uh, you know origin knowledge or are people just gonna do really great you know skip to the end tutorials and you know you don't really need to figure out how you got here my guess is that it's going to be a mix of sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. That'll kind of be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, I, I can't really imagine what it must be like to grow up with smartphones and the internet and all that kind of thing. Because obviously, and I'm, I'm sounding like an old man here, you know, saying get off my lawn and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I I didn't have, um, you know, I didn't have a phone. and We didn't have the internet at home until sort of the mid 90s till I was kind of 11 or 12-ish and, and it was very much a sit down at the family PC in the corner and, and dial up and you know you had a, an hour or so on the internet every evening and, th and that was all you were allowed kind of thing um, and that's what it was like in our house up until sort of 99 kind of time because we, we kind of lived in quite a rural area and um, were quite late to get broadband so yeah for you know kids these days you see kids of like you know seven or eight and they've got smartphones and they're, they're constantly online and on social media and stuff you know it, uh, it makes you wonder it does <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of industries that have changed like this. Like you imagine growing up in the sixties working on cars mm. and now, you know, now you try to go work on a car you just bought and it's like, it should have been a computer engineering degree. Like other than <laughs> unbolting the, the wheels, like what else is the same here? It's all different. So it's kind of funny to see all the industries and how some of them are fairly the same and some of them just change wildly. Hmm. So um, I guess, you know, in all of the videos that you've done, do you have one that if somebody said, what's the best one to start for your channel to get, you know, to get to know your, your work, do you have one that you would suggest for people? 
<sighs> That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I mean, the easy answer is have somebody just scroll through your videos and pick a topic that's relevant to whatever they're interested in at the moment. But I mean, you know, it's more of a general, it's more of a general intro. I, and I actually specifically got this out as a prop for this conversation. Um, I have the Atari video music here, uh, which is not only one of my favorite gadgets, um, also one of my favorite videos that I've made on my channel. Um, so I imported that from the US because obviously they didn't, they didn't sell those here. Um, and that's been converted with um, an S-Video um, video output mod and uh, 230 volt mod. So obviously I can plug it in in the UK. Uh, change the side panels for uh, actual real wood because the ones that were on there originally were completely sort of beat up and destroyed. Um, and obviously made a video of that whole process. So uh, that's that's one of my favorites and that, that's a fairly recent one. Um, but yeah, I, I like to think there's... Um, kind of something for everyone there's some there's some console stuff there's some kind of um like I say like home entertainment kind of stuff there's a couple of game reviews on there um i did the mr multi-system um obviously i was i was very lucky to get on the first batch of those as well and, and did one of the first reviews that kind of went out there on that as well so yeah the, a little bit of uh, everything but um i like to think that um you know with, with every video that i do i i i I like to sort of kind of tweak things and improve things. And I kind of look, look back on my older videos and think, oh, yeah, you know, here's something that I'm doing slightly better today. And, you know, my, my lighting's slightly better or my audio's slightly better or the editing's slightly better or whatever. Um, so every video that I release, it's like, you know, don't, don't look at the older stuff. Look at the, uh, look at the last sort of three or four. But uh, yeah. I, think it's, uh, I think it's probably all good. I think I'm probably just my, my own worst critic. I mean, you have to be, right? You, yeah. you have to continuously analyze yourself to get better. Otherwise, you're never going to get better. And everybody else is going to get better around you and you're going to stay the same, which basically means you got worse. So, Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm a, a software developer in my day job and uh, obviously quite, I think, quite famously in software development, you know, they say if you uh, if you don't look back at the code that you wrote a year ago and, uh, you know, you're absolutely horrified, then uh, you're, not, uh, you're not developing and, and kind of progressing. So... I guess the I guess the same must hold true for videos as well. Yeah, for for me personally, it's not so much the editing and the how it looks and sounds because that's one of those things where I, I think any, everybody that comes to my channel knows that I'm not I'm not my life in gaming. I'm not Digital Foundry. You know, I try my best to aspire to be, but I'll never be. But the thing that gets me is when I go back to a video and I'm just like, why wouldn't I have just said? And this is what you know, this is what lag is and add a 15 second thing just yeah. saying that before what I just said, because how, you know, you can't expect everybody to watch all of your videos before they get to this one. So that's the biggest thing for me is I'll get so sucked into a subject and then I'll go back and see that video afterwards. Or, you know, I'll be taking a walk and it'll pop into my head. Like, why didn't you add that to the video? Like, what are you like? Why would you have skipped that? You took that for granted. So those are the ones that drive me nuts. I always want to make sure to to be as good of a teacher as I possibly can for these. And yeah, I, I drop the ball all the time with the little stuff. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You, you kind of have to you have to make that judgment and, and kind of know your audience. And I think we're probably quite similar in the, in the type of videos that we make in that uh, we always try to, as well as kind of showing something and presenting something, obviously you, you kind of aim to educate people as well. But um, it's knowing kind of what, what level people are on and, and where to start at. And obviously you don't want to oversimplify things and insult people's intelligence, but uh, at the same time, you don't want to assume that they know too much and, uh, and confuse everyone. So it's quite a difficult balancing act sometimes. 
yeah, you have to find that middle ground and you're never going to please anybody. Like no, I put a joke in the last video because the Mr. Video that I just put out was you already know what Mr. is. You've mm. already understood that, you know, there's going to be a process. So here's how you do that process. It's basically like a 10 minute ad for my life and gaming's video or vice <laughs> versa. You could say that their video, mine's just like a, there's, they could send people to me. Like if you don't, you know, just go over mm. here to get it done. And I made a joke about unzipping a file because in a bunch of my tutorials that were meant in the same way, like you already know what a Raspberry Pi is. You already understand what 240p is. Here's a very quick primer. If you're that person, you already know how to unzip a file. And if you don't, if you've already signed on to doing this, typing into a search <laughs> search browser, how do I unzip a file is the right thing to do. If you're, you know, if you're smart enough to decide that you want to use a Raspberry Pi, you should be smart enough to learn how to use the search feature. So I put a little, uh, you know, dig in there about that. And it was just, it was so funny to see some of the responses because it's like, you know, you can never please them all. You get a lot of people, I get people complaining that I, you know, why would I have put that joke in? I get people saying, why wouldn't you teach people how to unzip a file? And it's like, you always got to hit your middle ground of like what you're trying to, to accomplish. And, you know, asking a question is never, ever stupid. No. You know, blaming the other person for not explaining something you should know going in. Eh, it's a little stupid. So. Well, it's all good for engagement, isn't it? So uh, <laughs> people will always come yeah. along and co correct you in the comments. Um, I'm still not really sure how the engagement thing works totally. So I just kind of no. ride along and see what happens. I think um, anyone who claims to understand how the algorithm actually works is, is probably trying to sell you something. Mm. Um, it's a bit of a dark art. But yeah, it's funny you should mention your um, Mr. Video because obviously I've, I've, I've watched your video, but I haven't watched the My Life in Gaming one yet. Um, I've got it on my watch later list um, as it has been since it came out but um so for somebody like you you're going to know everything that they say in the video you're not going to learn anything new but i think you're still going to be really entertained how they present hmm. it to you it's one exactly. of those things it's like watching a documentary about a subject you already know everything about it's interesting to see somebody else's take on it especially yeah. people like mark and Corey who make it visually look pretty at the same time so so yeah so it, that's why i liked that their video so much is because People like us who already are deep into the Mr. Project could be entertained by it. And as long as you kind of know what there's something called Mr. And here's kind of what it is. Every, those people could jump into it and learn a lot too. So I think, I think that was a pretty good one. Epic though. Two hours that, and 40 minutes. Epic. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Cause it, it's one of those channels where you kind of, you don't want to just put it on in the background. You want to kind of sit and actually watch it actively and, and kind of give it your full, uh, full attention. And, uh, it's just finding the time to sit down and watch a, a, a three-hour video on Mister. Um, you know, I think it's a fantastic thing that uh, people are putting that kind of really, um, you know, the the kind of feature-length stuff out there and, and really going into the proper deep technical detail and stuff. You know, I absolutely love that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't want to do them a disservice by uh, kind of not paying attention to it. So I'm I'm saving it for when uh, when I've got time to actually sit down and uh, and watch the whole thing. Yeah, it's, a, it's what I do with most of my friends' videos that are like that. You know, the ones, podcasts I always listen to. So, mm. uh, you know, that's why I always tell people, like, thank you very much for, you know, for the support and for watching on YouTube to get those clicks up. But listen any way that you want, whatever is the easiest way, because I love to either have my earbuds in or just my phone on, um, you know, speakerphone mode. 
and just listening to the podcast as I'm walking around working, that's great. Mm. And, you know, you could still absorb it totally. But whenever there's things that you rely on visual cues and especially stuff that's as well shot as them, Digital mm. Foundry, like I got I treat it like a movie. I sit down, I watch it. Even a lot of MVG stuff, Modern Vintage Gamer, you know, oh, he, yeah. a lot of his B-roll is just that. It's just to keep you visually entertained if you happen to be sitting there. But some of it is very pertinent to what he's talking about. So I always try to make the time to actually sit and you know and watch his videos for the most part some he has you know just opinion based stuff which i like too like the last playstation um you know the playstation network thing update i think he nailed that i think the emulation is going to be terrible <laughs> so if it isn't yeah i've i've mvg's another one i've been watching for a very long time and um it seems that um Obviously, we've kind of had similar interests over the years and stuff with the original Xbox emulation. Obviously, he was quite quite sort of deeply involved with that. And um, yeah, he's one of those, um, there's kind of a, a short list of channels that I have that, uh, you know, whenever they drop a new video, it's like, oh, okay, drop everything and watch it. <laughs> um, and MVG is on that list for me, depending on the subject. If, if it's something um, kind of an opinion piece on, on, on current affairs or something, then maybe I'll, I'll leave it a little bit longer and get around to it. But um, if it's like a deep dive into a an NES emulator or something like that, it's like, no, I've got, I've got to watch this because this is going to be interesting. Yeah. yeah, there's so many great people out there. You know, it's mm. it's very easy to to get sucked into some of the bad stuff that happens. And while it is very striking sometimes, the reason it is is because the majority of people in the scene are just awesome. So when you have somebody that isn't, it really stands out and kind of like sucks the fun out of that day. But there are so many good people. MVG is definitely one of them. And it's uh, it, it's really great to see a lot of the knowledge that's been spread and, and done in a way where it doesn't feel like you're in a lecture hall bored to death, like you're actually interested in what's coming next. Yeah, and it's it's quite a small community, isn't it? Really, when you when you kind of get into it, it's kind of, you know, lots of people know each other. And if, if you kind of don't actively participate in that community and you and you don't sort of contribute to it positively then uh, it, people will will work you out pretty quickly and if if you're just in it to kind of take stuff and you know just just for your own uh, purposes or whatever then uh, I think uh, yeah the the successful ones are the people that, that that give a lot back I think I think that's the point I'm trying to trying to get at <laughs> yeah no agreed 100% it's mm-hmm. uh you know it's kind of interesting to see different communities and how they work and how, you know, how they communicate, how welcoming or unwelcoming they might be. And it's, uh, it's also interesting to see who gets to be the biggest because it's, you you know, being behind the scenes, you could see who really worked hard and really earned it and deserves every follower and, you know, every penny they get from it. And you can also kind of see the dark side too, where it's like, "Mm, I think I know exactly how you got right where you are. And, you know, (laughs) stepping on the heads of others going up the ladder. It's like, ugh. So it's it's interesting to see, and uh, the, the communities very often follow, like we were saying, you know, earlier when we started, you know, the the personalities tend to match a lot of the following sometimes. Hmm. I mean, like um, Neil from RMC. Obviously, I've done some stuff with him, and I did that um, Atari show and tell with him um, a few weeks back. Um, you know, really, really genuine guy, and it, he works so hard and. You know everything that he does, he, he kind of commits to a hundred percent, and obviously he's developed the Mister Multi System and the the coloring book that he did, and the Retro T Breaks book, and he's still putting out videos every single week, and he's built the cave, and it's like, well, you know, and 
he still has this amazing discord community that he's actively involved with and he's in there chatting to people every day and it's like i, I genuinely don't understand how he he finds the time to do all of this stuff and you know obviously met, met him in person a few times and kind of worked with him on some stuff he, he is 100 genuine and uh you know how he doesn't have a million subscribers i don't know but um but there you go <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I haven't talked to him that much. Every single time I have, it's been positive. It's kind of funny, too, because at some point, um, somebody mentioned something about a rivalry between us. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh. I've never said anything bad. Or if I have, I, I got the word, I got the name wrong or something. You know, I meant to see, you know, CMR instead of RMC, or like whatever. <laughs> like, um, and I don't, Neil's certainly never said anything. And I, I always kind of wondered where that came from. And the other day I meant to message him and I couldn't remember if I had messaged him last on Discord or on Twitter. And I happened to look on Twitter and there was a message from him from years ago, just friendly chatting. And I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Was it just some, you know, some somebody else misunderstood? Was it some crazy fan starting shit or like there's never been a rivalry? I've never said anything bad about them. So, yeah, I don't know. That would always kind of crack me up. But uh, but yeah, no, nothing but good things to say about Neil so far. Everything's no, been great. I hope to hang out with him and do an interview with him at some point too. I know how busy we both are, so it's kind of hard to, to make that happen sometimes. No, is it, I can't imagine him having a, a rival with a rival with anyone. To be honest, I mean, he's uh, he doesn't have a bad word to say about anyone. In fact, I actually um, message him messaged him when you got in touch with me saying oh you know bob from retro rgb wants to interview me and he he was he was really pleased with me he was like oh yeah bob he's a really nice guy kind of thing so cool well hey glad evidently no uh no no bad blood on on his side so (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's funny how that stuff works itself out but nope never had any any bad things to say i I love what he's doing with the cave i think that's such a cool idea i I always wanted to do something similar to that here and Hmm. it was actually kind of sort of falling into place and in early 2020 it looked like it was going to happen and then you know obviously so now i think Hmm. everybody that was involved in that was like yeah i'm not i'm not gonna deal with that now we'll we'll come back to that in a couple of years so we'll see if that ever happens and just for the record, because we were just talking about rivalries, I'm not that wasn't a backhanded way of saying that Neil stole my idea. Like it's just <laughs> parallel thinking. Of course, two people who are deep in this hardware would think, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we put it all in one room and had people come over? Like, no, it's just parallel thinking. Same, I'm oh, sure a lot of people have the same idea. Oh, it's the dream, isn't it? Because the thing is, you know, we all we're all the kind of people who like to acquire stuff and, and and play with it and fiddle with it. And obviously, if you have a museum, it's it's kind of the the ultimate excuse to just acquire as much stuff as possible and, and spend all day every day playing with it. So, uh, yeah, I, I imagine there's quite a lot of people who uh, who would uh, qu- would like to do that. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing too, I was just talking about this. I think on one of my Q and As or something. But one of the things that I I always thought would be such a neat thing is to pick a display that you feel like matches the console really well. So like in early eighties RF TV hooked up, you know, Mm. via uh, just the two prong RF to an Atari 2600, you know, like uh, I, for whatever reason, NES looks in composite looks amazing on Commodore 64 monitors, just those, you know, the basic monitors with composite in Mm. and having a place like the cave to where you might be able to do something like that. And I just think would be really neat because I think each console came out at a time when displays had changed ever so slightly. And even from like the NES to SNES era, you started to see more TVs with S-Video in them. 
um, even if you wouldn't have noticed back then, like I got, I think a 1989 TV sitting behind me there that has S video and I, I would have never known to look for it back then. And so you could kind of match up consoles and, and computers with displays based on the era. And I think that would be a pretty neat part of the experience as well. Yeah. Cause I've been to other museums and, um, you know, they tend to have modern LCD TVs. Now, I totally understand why, because obviously they don't tend to explode or um, yes. and, and they're a lot cheaper to run and, and kick out a lot less heat and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, one, obviously one thing that Neil's done at the cave is that he does have the uh, kind of the matching CRT monitors for every single machine that he has on display. Um, as far as I know, he's only had one actually blow up on him. But um, yeah, it's got to be quite a, an undertaking just to kind of maintain that all and keep it all working. Yes, yes. That is another part of why you can't just throw a bunch of TVs in a room, plug some consoles in and say, okay, you know, we have a cave, go for it. Like, no, it's a lot more work than that. And I think, mm. uh, you know, I think Neil knew that going into it, though. Mm. Do you have a, a favorite display then that you that you like to use? Do you have your favorite monitor or something? Or are you just primarily, you know, conversion to digital when you can? No, I... Um... <sighs> One thing I am known for is owning a lot of CRTs. Um, I think it was 17 at last count. Um, nice. It's a bit of a problem. Yeah, maybe maybe a bit of a fetish even. Um, <laughs> the main one I tend to use is, is this one behind me, which is a, a JVC um, PVM type thing, just because it happens to fit quite nicely into that spot there. Um, but yeah, I mean, like my Atari STs, I've got the matching Atari monitors and um, obviously with my PCs, I tend to go, I like to have the same brand monitor as the PC, if possible, with the matching accessories, like the matching keyboard and mouse and speakers and everything. So it gives me, uh, gives me something to work towards kind of putting these systems together. Um, Isn't it yeah, funny it, how that entire experience changed? Because when we were growing up all the way up until early 2000s, you had your branded computer. You had your branded mouse with your desktop and your monitor and it all matched and it was all the same. And nowadays, like, you know, you get a nice keyboarded mouse, you have your nice monitor and then whatever box you plug into it, whether you make it or buy it doesn't even it's kind of an afterthought now and that there's not a matching set of things anymore. Hmm. Although I think we are much better off these days with, um, you know, the quality of the mice and keyboards and monitors and stuff, you know, some of that kind totally. of bundled bundled stuff, especially like towards the, the kind of the end of the 90s and the early 2000s was pretty terrible. Um, you know, especially like the keyboards, just awful. <laughs> so, um, But yeah, you know, if, if you want the authentic um, period experience, you have to have all of the, the matching bits and pieces, or at least in my mind anyway, like I say, maybe it's just some strange fetish that I have. No, there's something about it. There's something about, you know, it, it's exactly like like console games and that a good game is a good game, period, end of story. Mm. So if you have a lag-free way to play a classic game, you know, in a controller that, that feels good to your hands, then it's a win. But it's not the same as taking your, your cartridge, plugging it in, flipping mm. the switch, holding the original controller that it came with, even if it only had a six inch long cable or whatever the heck those <laughs> old consoles used to have sometimes. And that's it's doesn't change the game. It cha changes the experience. And I think it's the same with those classic computers in that, you know, unless you have a, you know, a three foot deep key uh you know key press <laughs> you know yeah. with a loud click and you know a bunch of the clanks of the um the disk drive and the, the tape drives and you know that that is really the experience of it so if you're 
you know, if your goal, I guess it's just my opinion, of course, but if your goal is just to check out older software, you could do that through so many of the amazing emulation ways mm. of doing it. But if your goal is to try out what a classic computer would be like, that is absolutely a big part of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like to um, sort of evangelize and, and, you know, I'm not a fanboy for any particular um, approach or anything like that. I mean, I, I've got the Mister. I love the Mister. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I have uh, RetroArch running on my NVIDIA Shield plugged into my TV downstairs. And, you know, sometimes I'll just sit on the sofa with a, a wireless controller and play, you know, old SNES games or Mega Drive games or whatever. And, you know, I, I own the original hardware, but ultimately i think as long as people are kind of preserving those games and, and enjoying them as they were intended and you know that that's kind of what keeps the history alive so you know how, however you want to experience that it's all uh it's all cool with me <laughs> yeah i always like to say there's so many right ways to experience it yeah and the only wrong way is with a ton of lag or yeah. or if the image is processed so badly that you can't even tell what it was originally yeah yeah mm. no totally agreed so do you have a favorite of those CRTs that you have? I mean, obviously in the context of you want them to match, but is there one that really stands out as like, wow, this one's still in great shape or this one looks the best or, or whatever? Uh, so one that was quite a, a very lucky find. Um, I have... Uh, oh, it's buried. Um, I have a... a there's a PC manufacturer in the UK called RM or, or Research Machines, and they made all of the school PCs back in the in the 90s and, and kind of early 2000 um, kind of era. And I very speci specifically remember when I was at school using uh, these 486 PCs. Uh, the, the, the kind of the famous one that they made was the RM Nimbus, which was um, one of the very few PCs that used a 186 processor, um, which I don't have. Um, but anyway, that's that's a whole different uh, rabbit hole. But um, at the, very specifically remember using this 486 PC at school and I actually managed to get my hands on one um, about 20 years ago uh, and they, they don't come up for sale very often at all um, but then probably five or six years ago I was browsing through eBay looking at PC uh, CRT monitors for something else for a completely different project and there was a guy selling just a pile of monitors it was basically just you know pay your money and come and take your pick kind of thing and I spotted in that pile that there was an RM monitor that actually matched that PC, and I'd never seen one for sale. And obviously, as far as this guy was concerned, these monitors were all just junk, and he just wanted to get rid of them. And it just so happened that it was about ten minutes' drive from my house. Um, so yeah, I paid my twenty pounds or whatever it was, you know, if it was even that, and went and picked up this RM monitor, perfect match for this PC that I'd remembered using as a kid. Um, and I've got the complete setup now with the matching mouse and keyboard and, and monitor and the, the PC and everything. And um, yeah, every time I post that PC on Instagram or, or on Twitter or whatever, people are always like, oh my God, I remember those. You know, I remember using those at school. And it's like, yeah, it's, it, it's just a really cool thing to own, just the complete setup. So if I had to pick a favorite, um, it would probably be that one. But uh, obviously in the context of the PC that it goes with, just because of, you know, just because just, just it's a cool sort of complete package, really. Mm. Yeah, it's funny because it, 
I do, you know, I love all the CRDs that I have mostly and it's, but for all different reasons and for different, you know, for different use cases and stuff like that. So it's kind of fun to, to see that other people's, to see other people's perception of that as well. So I, I love that story. That's a good one. I got to ask though, uh, what's a 186? Because I grew up with the 286 to 1000. And then obviously then I followed 386, 486, then the CRX 586 and 686 chips, which was no, they worked, but it was obviously a marketing scam to make you feel like it was a totally different architecture. And then there was the 8088s before that, before mm. the 286, but I have never seen or heard of a 186 before. No, and it's one of those things where you mention it and people are like, oh, well, that didn't exist, you know, you're obviously mistaken. But um, yeah, it's one of those really weird things. So obviously there was the 8086 and there was the, um, obviously, like you say, the 286. Um but the 186 was something that Intel designed for kind of embedded systems and it kind of integrated a lot of stuff into the CPU and it was never intended to be used in normal PCs. And obviously RM, for some reason, decided that um, they could cut costs and, and make it sort of a very low cost PC aimed at schools by using this particular industrial CPU. Um, and if you go on Wikipedia and look at the, uh, the, the 80186 page on Wikipedia, and there is one, and it has a list of, of machines that actually used it, and there's like four or five, and one of them is the RM Nimbus, um, which, which all uh, British people of, of a particular age will remember using at school. Um, and the other cool thing about that PC is that it used the microchannel architecture as well, which was um, obviously used, I think, in the IBM PS2. So really, really weird machine, and uh, one, that's, uh, one that's quite de- desirable for collectors nowadays, just because it is such an oddball um and it's also not particularly ibm compatible either so there, there isn't really much that will actually run on it but there you go that's uh that's uh, usually the case with these these weird ones isn't it so i just pulled up the wikipedia page as you were explaining and mm. i think i think the branding of it is what stands out so when you see in your mind 286 386 486 dx you know all of those I think the branding was 8086 or 80186 and same yeah. thing with the 8088 or the 80188. And I think, uh, so while you're a hundred percent correct, my guess just in looking at the words printed in front of me is that's probably how Intel went down that, that naming scheme. Cause Intel has been notorious for shit names since the day oh, yeah. that company was released. I don't think anybody, including Intel, would would deny that in the slightest bit. So there's probably some nerd, like, throw a one in it, and that'll be our designator for embedded. So, Yeah, I mean, it's it's nothing. It's Ultimately, it's an 8086 at its core. Mm. Like I say, it just has... I don't know exactly what they integrated onto it, whether it's stuff like the memory controller and stuff like that, but... Um... It, it was aimed at embedded systems and that kind of thing. And yeah, like I say, they, they never intended it for it to ever be used in a PC. So quite how that came about, I don't know. But um, uh, if, if you can find a picture of an RM Nimbus as well, I mean, it's, it's a really cool looking PC. It's uh, it's very square PCs, and angular. Yeah. And yeah. It's funny too, because the Wikipedia page says it was uh, launched in 1982 and discontinued in 2007. Yeah. And as funny as that might sound, that actually is totally in line with a lot of the things that Intel does, because their embedded line is guaranteed for 10 years, but Mm. the stuff that's used in basically the stuff that sells, they'll just make until you don't buy it anymore. So it's kind of one of those things where I could totally see like a bunch of industrial equipment where the, you know, the 80186 processor just runs the 
microphone boom arm i don't know pick you know yeah. pick something useless and people keep buying them so they just keep making them and so that that's kind of funny to think but it's a long time it's over 25 years to produce a chip so not then, many not many chips get made or not many cpus get made that long there's tons of chips that do but hmm. And then inevitably, you know, some company that's making some obscure device that uses that CPU, uh, once Intel announced that it's end of life, you know, rather than kind of redesign the thing, they'll just buy a whole warehouse full of them from from Intel and just carry on manufacturing them until they run out of them, you know, 10 years later. So funny, a lot of the times that that happens, the decision is made because the person who designed whatever needs that yes. chip is gone, whether they passed or just quit or, or whatever else. So they don't really know what to do and their mm. guess is that it would cost more to have somebody come in reverse engineer it re-engineer it and add a new chip it would cost a lot more than just buying a warehouse of these chips and continuing yeah. to make them so i'm wondering you know that that's something that's propping cropping up a lot more and i'm wondering how much that'll affect uh things going forward there's been a, a case too the one i'm remembering is at texas instruments where they have a chip that does like three things and everybody that buys it, 99% use it for one thing. And then a company bought like 10,000 of them to use for the thing that, you know, the least use case. And then they called them up and said, Hey, we bought 10,000 of these and they're not working at all. And you know, they're like, okay, well let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. And then it came out that, yeah, the person who designed that chip is long gone. Nobody knows mm -hmm. how it works. No one knows why that function was there in the first place, how to troubleshoot it. So send us all the chips back. You have to find another thing. And we'll, you know, we'll remove that functionality from our documentation. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. So uh, what's next on the agenda for you? Do you have videos coming up that, uh, you know, that you think are something you'd really want to share with people? Do you just have kind of like, uh, this is fun, you know, show up if you're, uh, if you're in the mood type of videos. I do those too, of course. <laughs> I have. Um, so a year or so ago, I made a video about the S3 Verge, um, which was an early 3D, I'm sure I'm sure you're aware, but um, an early 3D graphics card for the PC that kind of predated the Voodoo cards. And I kind of really nerded out on that one and, and tracked down every single game that had an S3 Verge specific renderer built in. And I... Um, downloaded the ISOs of all of those and burnt them to CDs and installed them on, on the PC and went through every single game in turn. I think it's, there's not all that many. Um, I think it's maybe 20 or so and captured some footage and, and did kind of a mini review of each game. And there was one that I couldn't find at the time, uh, which is a game called Whiplash or Fatal Racing, depending on which part of the world you're from. And it was, it was a version that was bundled with a particular HP OEM bundle um, in, I think it was sold in a couple of countries in Europe. So I think Italy was, was kind of the main one. And I said, if anyone out there has this particular OEM bundle CD of this version of this game, um, you know, please get in touch and let me know. And six months after that video went out, someone actually emailed me completely out of the blue saying, is this the CD that you're looking for? And sent me like a scan of the actual CD itself. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, they, they, I think they weren't particularly uh, overly technical. So I kind of talked them through the, the process of ripping the CD and, and getting it uploaded to archive.org, which thankfully they did. Um, and I've now installed that on the 
on the Verge PC that I have, which is a, an MMX uh, 233 system, and uh, captured the footage of that and, and, and kind of scripted a bit of a review of that particular release of that game. Incredibly sad and nerdy thing to do, but it, it was kind of the one missing piece of that uh, that video that I put together. And it, it's kind of, it kind of really made my day that, that somebody would reach out and actually sort of go to that effort to, uh, to get that to me. So that's yeah. coming up in the very near future. Um, I, I just kind of want to do it justice uh, just because it is kind of that final missing piece of that, that, that huge project. Um, that's really yeah. awesome. And I don't think a single person listening to this would agree with you. I think everybody would, would think that was awesome. And the effort that you went through is worth it. And I think everybody would even be grateful to the person who scanned the CD and helped you rip it. I think that's, I mean, that's a big part of what we do, right? Like a lot mm. of our stuff is focused on the future. My focus is on, you know, promoting other people in the scene and new products coming up and new businesses around these products. But the root of what we do is in, in the old stuff. So taking the time to preserve them without that, there would be no need for any of the new stuff. So I think everybody would agree that that's freaking awesome. And they're happy that you did it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm really big on, on preservation. So, I mean, like the Atari Panther stuff. Um, so the, the Atari Panther, I'm going down a complete, often a completely different tangent here, but um, it was a, a console that was in development at Atari uh, in the late eighties that was canceled. And I, recently uh, in the past couple of months stumbled across a load of information uh, that was kind of spread across forums and and some of it had, had, had kind of succumbed to, to bit rot been taken offline and i had to go digging through archive.org and through the wayback machine um and kind of pulled all of that together and, and, and made a page on my website just just basically just citing all of those first-hand sources and, and copying and pasting it all in and linking to everything and, and kind of trying to build up the most complete picture I could um, about that console, just because that information was kind of starting to disappear and, and starting to get lost. Um, and that that's kind of the approach that I take with a lot of the stuff that I do, that um, I, I do a lot of research for my videos and, um, you know, anything that I kind of come across, I, I like to either get it uploaded to archive.org so it's, so it's preserved or, or get it on my website and, and just make sure that the next person that comes along that's kind of obsessed with whatever strange thing it is, um, you know, at least has the stuff that I've already found as, as kind of a starting point to go on. Um, and it was the same with that S3 Verge project and, like I say, the Atari Panther thing and uh, yeah, a couple of other things that I've done over the years as well. That's awesome. And I think, you know, on the surface, what you're doing is cool, but I, I think that, yeah, I mean this with respect, but people that aren't deep into this stuff don't really see that the work that you do on one thing might directly affect something that at, on the surface seems completely unrelated. But some of the research that is done on a lot of these projects and some of the archiving of the information, it, you know, it connects a lot of dots and things mm. and it really is helpful for development or for just history reasons. So even if it's um, not a subject that I had any knowledge about beforehand, I still have tons of respect for anybody who takes the time to do all that and, you know, work on, on, preserving the stuff so i think i mean obviously um i don't want want this to come across as as me trying to be too profound or any anything strange like that but um obviously you know this digital stuff you know computers and the internet and gaming is, is, is such a such an important part of our lives nowadays and the history of that and and kind of all of the development of that te technology that kind of led us to be where we are today is, is an important part of, of, of human history. I think, you know, it's, it's important to know where we came from and how stuff developed. And the trouble is a, a lot of stuff that was kind of 
put out there on the on the early internet um unfortunately is is starting to disappear now so i think it is important 100%. to kind of dig that out and, and kind of put it out there um and that, that's kind of as well as the you know the the project videos and, and this is what i'm working on at the minute you know that, that's kind of a, a focus of mine with with the bigger documentary style stuff as well just just to kind of put this stuff out there and do my bit to kind of amplify that signal and, and make sure that that information doesn't get lost. Mm. Yeah. I love it. I, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I mean, wish I, I had more time to contribute to, to a lot of those projects as well, but it's just, you know, we, we have the ability now for the first time in human history to have an accurate or a much more accurate um, retelling of what's happened. Mm. And with, you know, the ability to, to save all of this stuff, especially in the tech world, because that was the literally software, you know, it's the software that ran all this. So it, we have, it's important to, to have a, a true accounting of what happened so you could learn from it, grow from it and all of that. And although I completely didn't intend to, that comment I made before about, I wonder what the next generations of kids who become developers, you know, are they going to need that? You know, now that we're talking about it and now that we're saying it in this context, I really do think whether they know it or not, it'll play a big part in what they end up doing. Yeah, and the, the thing is, one thing I have noticed with my channel um, is that there are there's a surprising number of young people who who didn't grow up with this stuff, who are genuinely interested in it and, and do genuinely want to learn about it. So uh, probably you know in the same way that that I'd be interested in learning about like computers from the '60s and '70s and stuff, just because I you know I, I, I want to kind of build up that complete picture of of how everything's kind of evolved over time. So. Yeah, making that accessible to people and, uh, you know, in, in a format that uh, is easy to pick up. I mean, obviously, you can go onto YouTube and, and watch videos on uh, all sorts of different subjects. And I think yeah. it's a, I think it's an amazing thing. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a, a perfect place to wrap this one up. Um, I would definitely like to do another one with you. I'm sure okay. you're going to do a subject at some point that I'm going to be like, I'm going to pick Reese's brain about this one. Let's do another <laughs> one of this. So, so just expect an annoying message at some point, like, hey, Reese, we're going to do another. I want to know about fine. that. <laughs> um, that's fine. Now, I will link, of course, to your Patreon, to your YouTube channel, Instagram, and uh, everywhere else that I've seen your uh, social media. Um, and is there any other place that you want to direct people to other than the stuff that's, you know, that's directly linked anyway? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that pretty much covers it. I do have my website control.reese.com. Mm -hmm. Um, there are some, you know, like I say, any kind of background research that I do for videos, I tend to put on there as well. So, uh, but that's all, that's all linked from the uh, kind of video descriptions and stuff as well anyway. So just for people looking to kind of take a bit of a deeper dive into into stuff um like to you know cite all of my sources and, and have all of that available so yeah yeah but but the uh, the youtube channel is kind of the main thing the main focus point the kind of jumping off point for everything else awesome well thanks very much for your time and uh we'll you know definitely do this again yeah no, th thank you very much for the uh, opportunity and for the chat it's been a pleasure and uh, yeah hopefully uh, talk again soon <laughs>